0: DataBytes are presented by Data & Society, a research institute in New York City focused on social, cultural, and ethical issues arising from data-centric technological development. For more information, visit datasociety.net. In this talk, Kay Sabeel Rahman argues that dominant tech platforms, Google, Facebook and Amazon in particular, are best understood as the core infrastructure of our 21st century economy and public sphere. Drawing from the intellectual history of public utility regulation, Professor Rahman sketches tentative answers about how these platforms could be regulated in light of both their economic and political influence. Kesa Raman is a visiting professor of law at Harvard Law School, an assistant professor of law at Brooklyn Law School, and a fellow at the Roosevelt Institute. So uh, uh, thanks a lot, uh, Seth and Audrey and CJ and Rigo and Data and Society and all of you uh, for having me and coming out. Uh, this is a real treat for me to get to talk about all of this stuff, uh, especially with this group. I see a lot of familiar faces and folks who I've learned a lot from, and I'm sure uh, I'll continue to learn a lot today, and I hope uh, you will, too. So, um, you know, and uh, as I was on the flight over here uh, today, this morning, um, I was thinking about how it, how odd in some ways it is to be having this conversation, you know, in the shadow of the net neutrality repeal uh, at the FCC, because um, in some ways, right, that if, you know, assuming that repeal goes through... That's uh, taking a step back at precisely the moment when we actually are already many layers behind in thinking about these concepts of neutrality, common carriage, private power. Uh, In a lot of ways, part of what's so messy about uh, thinking about Internet power and informational power and platform power right now is that you have multiple types of concentrated power at play at the same time, right? The ISPs, the information platforms, uh, kind of the, the underlying Algorithms and uh, stores of big data, and we're trying to make sense of all of these, uh, all of these things. So, um, Seth mentioned a little bit about my previous work. Uh, I come at this a bit from a different angle, uh, thinking about the intellectual history of progressivism, the history of the regulatory state, theories of power and democracy, um, and uh, and I think what I'd like to present today is uh, a bit of a frame, a way of thinking about the problem of platform power and information and con- concentrated control over information uh, that I think touches on and draws on a lot of different sort of areas that uh, a bunch of other great folks, right, in, many in this room uh, have been working on. Uh, so uh, let me sketch that out, and then we can kind of hopefully have a, a broader, uh, broader discussion. So um, part of what I think got me started on this uh, thought process is that in some ways, you know, we're, the messiness of this question of platform power, uh, and inform- and control over information is that we are actually dealing with many crises at the same time, right? Uh, worries about disinformation, manipulation on online speech platforms, uh, questions about AI and algorithms and discrimination or uh, other types of mistreatment. Uh, the privacy, surveillance questions, uh, and then questions of market power and, and, and platform dominance. And what I want to suggest today is that one reason why we have all these uh, concerns at the same time is that they're all manifestations of a deeper problem, which is that we have a, uh, an informational infrastructure that exists outside of our normal uh, domain of regulation, checks and balances, governance. And so really what's going on here sort of underneath all of these uh, kind of surface level battles that we're fighting is a problem of private control over infrastructure, particularly in the domain of information uh, and how we think about and uh, respond to that. So, um, and part of why, why I think this is a, a thorny problem, right, is that uh, we have multiple layers of infrastructure at play at the same time. Uh, and it raises a bunch of different questions about uh, competing moral values, principles that we want to apply infra- to these types of private infrastructure, uh, invoking a range of governmental tools, uh, public and private actors. And so uh, my hope is by the end, we might try to impose some order on uh, all of this uh, kind of these different uh, questions that are at play. So uh, before I do that, let's um, think back a bit, uh, uh, 100, 100 plus uh, years to what a bunch of historians in this space uh, have been surfacing around the public utility tradition. So um, think back to, say, 1850s, 1860s, 1870s, right up through to the 1920s. Now, in some ways, this is a little bit odd source, right, for thinking about the Internet era. This is, um, in some ways, a stone age, right, of, uh, of technology relative to now. But I think it's enlightening because, in, uh, in a lot of ways, reformers of the turn of the 20th century we're thinking about a lot of these same problems around what happens when you have technological change that creates new forms of uh, new goods and services upon which the economy and society now suddenly depend, right? And these goods and services didn't exist before, so we didn't know how to regulate them. And, and now that they exist, they exist in private hands, but we all depend on it as the public. And so how do we deal with that, right? Um, and so that thought process, I think, is really analogous to what we're uh, thinking about today. So uh, in the progressive era, there's this broader uh, concern about this idea of private power. Uh, The the corporation is now becoming this kind of vast, uh, powerful entity, right? Think the monopolies of the Vanderbilts or, you know, J.P. Morgan, the man, not the firm, uh, pulling the strings of the modern economy. Uh, And this broader concern in the progressive era about private power, I think, can be boiled down to two principles, two problems. Uh, first is a problem of domination. So domination is, this, is the idea that it doesn't matter whether uh, you happen to be well-treated right now. What matters is uh, whether uh, you're subject to the arbitrary benevolence of another actor, right? So Lewis Brandeis is talking about the corporation, and he says the corporation is a benevolent absolutism. Benevolent because it might treat you happen to treat you well now, but if it changes its mind, it can completely change your life like that. Right? And so just because it's benevolent doesn't mean it's not absolutist. So there's a problem of domination, and that related to that is a problem uh, that these types of private actors, private power, uh, they're not subject to the same types of checks and balances that we assume apply to the state, right? So we have a whole constitutional structure of separation of powers, elections, uh, you know, kind of public advocacy, right, around restraining the power of the state. Uh, but we don't have the equivalent for these increasingly state-like private actors. And so a special subset of this broader worry in the progressive era around private power was the public utility. So uh, let me give a, a couple of examples. So um, uh, in the case, there's like all these great, one of the nice things about doing this as a as a, as a lawyer is you find all these great nuggets in all these ancient cases that um, are really uh, revealing. So um, here's one, uh, just by total example, there's, there are many others. Um, from Wisconsin in 1858, uh, the court is trying to figure out how to deal with the fact that the uh, gas electric gas and electric company can arbitrarily shut off access uh, from homes that you know have a have a, a a pipeline, right? And they didn't used to. It's not like people had this type of uh, electric wiring before, but now they do, and so now we need. Um, uh, they're raising these these disputes, and they say, well, look, uh, the gas company. has has the right to impose whatever regulations and restrictions it wants. That's fine. It's a private company. uh, But it's not allowed to just do uh, any kinds of uh, regulations. Those regulations have to be reasonable, just, lawful, not capricious, arbitrary, oppressive. Uh, If they were, that would be leaving people at the mercy of the utility company, um, which might become careless, fraudulent, malignant. Right, this is that idea of benevolent absolutism. Right, it's good until it isn't. Uh, The other piece about this, though, is that um, this this unchecked power is especially troubling because the this this service, gas and electric, is now suddenly a necessity. Even though it didn't exist before, it has now become something that you can't live without. Right. So, the successful operation of this gas company worked a radical change in the mode of lighting in the streets and dwellings and place of business thereby creating a sort of necessity for the article. And so recognizing that even though this service didn't exist before, it, can ne- it has now acquired the status. It's acquired such importance that it now uh, raises these uh, types of moral concerns about checks and balances. Uh, here's another example, Munn v. Illinois, which is famous for uh, the kind of, con- if there are any con law folks in the room, Um, Is famous for lots of other reasons. uh, But for our current purposes, uh, this was about regulation of uh, warehouses. Um, And what's interesting in this case is that the court frames the problem of warehouses as the gateway to commerce. And this is why they raise uh, unique regulatory challenges. I think it's particularly sort of telling going back if we're in light of something like Google or Amazon, which I'll get to uh, in a minute. So this worry about private control over the new infrastructure led to a whole bunch of uh, new institutional and governance regimes around things like railroads, telecom, telephony, uh, municipal utilities. Right, The whole reason why you have Con Edison or the MTA uh, is precisely because the, of the effort to create public or quasi-public control over these uh, types of infrastructure. Uh, and then you see similar moves in other industries as well, milk, ice, water, basic, uh, basic goods. So that's the public utility tradition. What does that tell us about uh, informational infrastructure today? Um, uh, A couple of things. So first, I think this idea of public utility, we can kind of modernize it uh, as a way of thinking through new types of infrastructure. And I think there are really three conditions that come out of the history, but really track with our worries about firms like Google, Facebook, or Amazon. Uh, The first is scale, right? These are all operating Uh, At scale, If they weren't operating at scale, we wouldn't have to worry about them quite so much, right? Uh, The second is this idea of downstream uses. So in in a sort of traditional, economistic way, we might define infrastructure in terms of uh, the modes of production, right? Is it it a public good? Is it non-rival, non-excludable? Does that mean that the market undersupplies it, right? That's sort of the economist's definition uh, of infrastructure. But here I'm highlighting the other side of it, which is sort of the demand side, right? what are the types of social, economic, political purposes that this new good or service enables, makes possible downstream, right? And to the extent that that it enables more stuff that we value, it's more important. Uh, And then the third condition relates to the second is what I think of as vulnerability, right? So precisely because the good or service enables all these downstream uses and operates at such scale, uh, we are then vulnerable to who, the whims, the, 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 the will of whoever governs and owns that service, right? Um, and so this is like the, the, the Wisconsin gas case, right? If they shut you off, you're really in a jam because you now need this thing and there aren't so many, too many other competitors that you can go to. So one thing to note here about infrastructure, this means that uh, we're getting to a social and political definition of infrastructure, not an economic one. Right? This is a socially constructed idea of what counts as infrastructure. And it's necessarily fluid. So something that's infrastructure today may not be infrastructure tomorrow. And something that isn't infrastructure today might become infrastructural tomorrow. Now, that might make it messy, but I think that's exactly sort of where we are, right? We, uh, it's totally fair game, I think, to say that 10 years ago, search was not infrastructural for our economy. But now it seems that it very much is. And I think we need a, we need a way to sort of capture that fluidity. Um, okay, so one last piece uh, before we can get to the different uh, internet platforms and information platforms. So uh, in the gas and electric or the warehouse case or, or railroads, you know, all these 19th century uh, scenarios, private monopolistic control is in some ways easy to spot, right? You can, it, it's, uh, the boundaries are very clear, in in the context of the internet, that's a little bit harder, right? Because power is in some sense diffused network decentralized. But what I think we're facing, right, is that in a diffused network decentralized digital economy, uh, we actually have other more subtle forms of concentration taking place. And that's where the digital infrastructure problem uh, arises. So uh, we can name a few of them. So one uh, is, you know, actual controller monopoly. That's, I think, very uh, more straightforward, uh, but I think a, a different form would be uh, firms or, uh, uh, firms that serve a kind of gatekeeping function. So to me, this is like search. Uh, it's not that Google literally owns all the data on the internet. If it did, that would be sort of the first kind of problem, right? actual controller monopoly. But the, the Google's power is because it is now the dominant critical gatekeeper through which most people access economic, social, and political uh, purposes on the internet. And that gatekeeping function makes it infrastructural in a way that feels more like the information utilities of the 19th century, even though they don't literally control the whole internet. Uh, another similar type of uh, concentration of power in a diffused, uh, seemingly decentralized uh, internet, I think comes out of uh, all the cons- a lot of concerns a lot of folks uh, here and elsewhere have been writing about uh, around scoring power, right? This idea of uh, in indices and scores that accumulate a sort of outsized influence on uh, the life chances of individuals. Say, if it's like credit rating scores, right, or risk assessments for um, uh, for bail or, or criminal justice. Um, you could think of other sort of uh, uh, economic scores that are also uh, infrastructural in the same way. So, the credit rating agencies leading up to the financial crisis, or the LIBOR scandal, uh, or any one of a number of uh, kind of Back, kind of behind the scenes uh, in, indexes that actually structure a lot of uh, economic activity. Um, and I think a fourth uh, type here is the kind of problem of background rules, algorithms, curation, right? So, um, and in some ways, that I think th- these are not uh, mutually inconsistent, right? You could, and that's part of what I'm hoping with this diagnosis to kind of unpack, right? So something like Google uh, is actually all three of these, right? It's a gatekeeper function, it's a scoring function. Uh, it's the algorithmic and curation function that are all at play at the same time. Uh, but I think it's important to sort of parse them out because we might well have different tools and responses to each of these. And they're all different forms of sort of infrastructural power that Google or Facebook uh, or Amazon have. Okay, so now how do we govern then information infrastructure, having sort of defined it and diagnosed it? Uh, I'll just kind of sketch out a little bit um, so we can have more time for for discussion. Uh, But first is a couple of governance principles, uh, sort of substantive values that I think we want to get to. So uh, there's one set of values, which if you look at in the history and also sort of in a lot of the literature right now, that I think you can group under the rubric of provision. So we want to make sure people have access to the good. We want to prevent discrimination. We want to ensure common carriage, uh, fair pricing. These are all about making sure people can access that service that is so uh, infrastructural and basic and foundational. But then I think we have a second set of principles, which is about the flip side of that, uh, which is protection. So anti-fraud, prevention of uh, contamination of the service. So in the same way that, you know, part of the purpose of the water utility, establishing the water utility in the 1800s, was to ensure that water wasn't tainted. Uh, And part of the purpose of having uh, regulation of milk, you know, there's like a ton of public utility cases about the production of milk. Because like there was a time where the production of milk was like highly fraught, right? And uh, but for that regulation, became you know poisoned and contaminated and uh, kind of toyed around with in all sorts of ways that were like bad for people, right? Um, so there's an anti-contamination sort of uh, idea. I think this sort of links up with some uh, of the literature around uh, treating uh, misinformation as nuisance, right? So Jack Balkin and others have been uh, writing about that. <clears throat> and this is where I would put privacy and consumer protection. Uh, principles, right? These are all about once you have access to the good, protecting the value, the service uh, of the good itself. So if the, those are the principles, and what are the tools, the institutions that uh, we might use? And this is where I think uh, we, we're we sort of in the middle of a debate about what's the right institutional regime. Uh, so rather than kind of uh, solve that problem, I don't think I can, I can do that. Uh, again, let me give a, a bit of a mapping. So <coughs> Uh, one set of debates, I think, is about different modes of administering those standards around provision and protection. And some of that might be directly through public regulation. Uh, I have some sympathy for that. Um, uh, I think there are some challenges here around just sheer regulatory capacity. There's a whole First Amendment problem uh, that we can get into. Uh, but I think there's, there's a lot to be said for that. Um, I think then another alternative is, is some debate about whether the, we can get the platforms to self-regulate. Uh, you could imagine sort of creation of uh, professional norms, uh, some kind of certification model, you know, like LEED certification for uh, for green buildings, uh, consumer watchdogs, and the like. Um, and again, I, I don't see these as mutually exclusive, right? In some ways, the threat of public regulation might well be what's needed to generate the right kinds of uh, of private self-regulation. Uh, and 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 there's precedent for all of this too, right? I don't think it's a coincidence that at the same time that sort of old media companies are becoming infrastructural in the early 20th century, that's when journalism becomes professionalized. That's when the FCC becomes uh, institutionalized. And that's when we get the first round of what is now the basis for our net neutrality and common carriage debates, right? All of that is happening at the same time, in some ways, in response to the same sort of set of concerns about private control over infrastructure. You go back and you read a lot of the uh, telephony cases, right? The big worry one of the big worries is, uh, you know, Gould is going to take over Western Union, and Gould also has all sorts of other business interests and political interests, and, like, that's a real problem. It's not unlike, you know, worries about Facebook and Zuckerberg and, uh, uh, and fake news in the 2016 election. So these are about, but I think so this debate is not about what the principles are that we want to achieve through regulation. This debate is about the means, right? What are the instrumentalities that we need to build to get there? Uh, One last thing about governance tools. So uh, one of the things that comes out from the public utility idea and this idea of infrastructure, I think that is different from sort of just cutting straight to, say, trying to assure better privacy protections and the like, is that a lot of the history of public utility regulation uh, has this idea of what I think of as structural regulation, where the goal is actually to, uh, change the incentives and even the business model of the firms that operate as infrastructural firms, and in a way, that sa- that the the goal is that that kind of saves you from having to do more of the case by case management and oversight. So think so. Think about it another way. If um, if it were just let kind of to use a, 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 an example that's front of mind for a lot of us, right? If it were just less profitable to uh, market to make money off of misinformation on an information platform, you wouldn't have to worry quite so much about content moderation at such a granular level, right? The part of the problem is that the business model is built or premised on a set of incentives that actually sort of drives some of the contamination that we uh, uh, see as a problem, right? And so uh, so the public utility tradition kind of has a bunch of other tools that I think are important to bring back into the mix Which are structural, changing the structure of the of the firms themselves, to try to shift their incentives so that they uh, just don't raise as many problems. And so, uh, some of these are kind of classic antitrust remedies, right? If you uh, uh, kind of preventing mergers and breaking up firms that are operating on both sides of the line. So, if you own the pipes, you can't also uh, be making money off of the stuff that flows through the pipes, right? Net neutrality is like the thinnest of thinnest versions of this idea. Um, but you could imagine much sort of sharper distinctions uh, between content production, say, and, and content uh, dissemination. And you can play that forward in a lot of uh, other other contexts. Um, one thing that I'm toying with uh, now, is just kind of throw it out there, is um, I think this might be an interesting way to think about privacy. So we usually think about privacy as a consumer protection thing, or it seems to me that we often frame it as such. But in some ways, uh, privacy as a prophylactic limit on what kinds of data can even be collected in the first place, uh, that's That done in that way, that strikes me as more of a structural kind of preventative move that takes a lot of the the worries off the table. Because if you can't collect the data, you don't have to worry as much about how the data is used. So that's privacy as prophylactic firewall, not privacy as sort of individualized consumer protection. And I think you kind of put it in this category that might open up some interesting Uh, new ideas. And then a a final sort of structural remedy here uh, is public options. So it's not a coincidence that a lot of these uh, early 19th, uh, kind of turn of the century uh, public utility debates often involved uh, a question about should the government provide either exclusively or just as one option among many, a version, a plain vanilla version of of the service, right? So not unlike the public option and healthcare debate. Um, in some ways, that's what ended up happening with, say, municipal transit. Uh, you have a public version, but then you have your, you know, plenty of private systems for getting around town. Um, I think this is particularly uh, potentially useful in some of the scoring and ratings contexts, right? So um, credit rating scores, uh, there, when Dodd-Frank was being debated, there was a, a brief attempt to, to nationalize, provide a, a plain vanilla public version of uh, the kind of security scoring right the triple a scoring for um, for securities and that that died, but I think that you know, kind of it fits in this category of uh, of structural regulation uh, okay so um, to pull back out i think three things I just want to make sure uh, I leave you with right um, first is that I think we can get gain a lot of traction by viewing. Informational uh, power and platform power in the internet economy today through this lens of infrastructure, right? Diagno- using it as a way to diagnose where we see problematic concentrations of power and influence using these ideas of scale, downstream use, and vulnerability. Uh, then that opens up sort of this idea of the substantive principles that we want to uh, see achieved in these infrastructural contexts, right? Provision and protection. And then separate from that, uh, what instrumentalities we need to build to achieve those principles? Right? Do we do it through public regulation, through private uh, self-governance, or through some kind of structural uh, restraint you know, of the firewalling variety or public options or something else? Right? So I think these are three dimensions on which we are, we are, uh, we're operating on all three of these dimensions at the same time. And that's part of why these debates can feel so messy. Um, And my hope is that by kind of parsing it out this way, that uh, can help us get uh, a bit of clarity on where to go next. Um, But let me stop there. Um.